The following message is from Westway Christian Church in Scottsbluff, Nebraska. If you'd like to know more about us, go to westwaychurch.com. Thank you for listening. Who are you? That's the question we're going to be wrestling with today. I'd love for you to go ahead and open your Bible to Ephesians uh, chapter 3. If you have any questions about our message today, I would encourage you uh, to send a text to 307 um, 316 2023, and if that's the number, that was a pretty good memory because it wasn't on the screen. Um, but I believe that's the number. It's in your, it's in your bulletin, um, and that was correct. So feel free to do that. Um, we'd love for you to ask us questions about what we talk about on Sundays. Um, here's how Paul, in a second, is going to begin Ephesians chapter 3. He's going to say, When I think of all this... And he's beginning with a transitional statement, so he's, he's going he's gonna to take all of the things that he's been talking about, and he's going to start talking about um, something else. So before we, before we join him in his transition, we want to remember the all of this that he had just said. We want to we keep that in our mind. We want to join Paul in this space. So what we're going to do is we're going to kind of go backwards through the first two chapters of Ephesians. The first thing that Paul has in mind is, um, is what God is building. And what God is building is a church. He's building a people, not a person. We talked about that last week. God is building a nation. He is not, he's not building individuals. God's building a church. He's building a church, a gathered group of people who realistically should not be together and the only reason they are together is because of what God has done in their lives through Jesus Christ, through the power of the Holy Spirit. And here's the, the second thing that Paul was thinking about. So here's, here's the second all, all of this. He's thinking about the reality that when we are not united with Christ or when we were not united with Christ, the reality is, is that we were dead. That's the language that Paul uses at the beginning of Ephesians chapter 2. He says, once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. So Paul is, Paul is making a, a declarative statement that people who are not united with Christ are spiritually dead. But it wasn't just, it wasn't just a matter of separating us from God on a, on a vertical uh, standpoint. Our deadness also separated us from one another. So if you're, if you're like me and you ask, you've ever asked the question, why is there so much brokenness in our world? Why is there so many broken relationships in our world? Like Paul is giving us a diagnosis here at the very beginning of Ephesians chapter 2. He's saying we were dead. And that deadness caused a break in our relationship with God and it caused a break in our relationship with one another. And here's, here's the third thing that Paul was, was thinking about in his, when I think of all of this. Paul's thinking about the spiritual blessings that were available to all of God's people. Things, things maybe we, we know or we realize and we know, and if we were to go back through that list in Ephesians chapter 1, we would, we would realize them, we would know them, but our problem is, as human beings, we're not able to fully accept those things, which is why Paul, at the end of that section in Ephesians chapter 1, he prays for the body. That's, he prays for the church so, so they would realize, know, and accept what they have access to. 
So we need, we need God to, to add wisdom and insight to us. Because we can know things about him, but we don't necessarily have the wisdom and insight to live that out. We also need God to, to switch the light on in our hearts. And that's, I really like that. I really like that metaphor. Um, in the NLT, he says, pray that your hearts will be flooded with light so you can understand the confident hope he's given to those he has called. I love that because, because I need to remember, I need God to, to remind me of my assurance of salvation. I need to remember that that doesn't come from any works that I do. I need to remember that, that simply reading my Bible and praying more doesn't mean I'm more worthy of God's salvation. I'm, I'm more worthy of God's work. In fact, I need to rest in what he's done. And, and here's the third thing. We need, to, we need to have God tell us about the power that is available to us. Because if you're like me, you don't feel very powerful. In the grand scheme of things, when, when we look at what's happening in our world, we, we don't feel very powerful. We don't feel like we can do anything. And there's a pretty big reality to that. We can't do anything, so we need God's power to make us and help us do things. So these are all of the things that Paul has on his mind as he begins today's text, and we're going we're gonna to read, um, read Ephesians 3, uh, 1 to 13, so I'd love for you to follow along with me. When I think of all this, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus for the benefit of you Gentiles. Now what I want you to do, your Bible probably has three little periods. What I want you to imagine is, is there's a, the beginning of a parentheses right here. When I think of all this, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus for the benefit of you Gentiles, assuming, by the way, that you know God gave me the special responsibility of extending his grace to you Gentiles. As I briefly wrote earlier, this is earlier in the letter, God himself revealed this mysterious plan to me. As you read what I've written, you will understand my insight into this plan regarding Christ. God did not reveal it to previous generations, but now by his spirit, he's revealed it to his holy apostles and prophets. And this is God's plan. Both Gentiles and Jews who believe the good news share equally in the riches inherited by God's children. Both are part of the same body, and both enjoy the promise of his blessings because they belong to Christ Jesus. By God's mercy and by God's grace and mighty power, I've been given the privilege of serving him by spreading this good news. Though I am the least deserving of all people, he graciously gave me the privilege of telling the Gentiles about the endless treasures available to them in Christ. I was chosen to explain to everyone this mysterious plan that God, the creator of all things, has kept secret from the beginning. God's purpose in all of this was to use the church to display his wisdom in its rich variety to all the unseen rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was his eternal plan, which he carried out through Christ Jesus our Lord. Because of Christ and our faith in him, we can now come boldly and confidently into God's presence. So please don't lose heart because of my trials here. I'm suffering for you, so you should feel honored. I wonder if you were, if you were introducing yourself to someone, how, how you would do that. What would, you, what would you say? How would you answer the question, 
Who are you? Maybe you'd say you were a father or a daughter or an athlete, a student. Paul is beginning this section in Ephesians chapter 3 with a statement of his core identity. And this is how Paul defines himself. He says, I'm a prisoner of Christ. That's Paul's core identity. If you were to, if you were to chisel away all of the things of, of who Paul was in his life, he's telling us something deeply true about himself. He's revealing something. He's saying, I'm a prisoner of Christ. He wants us to know, and we, as we read through this, he wants us to know that he was chosen by God. And see, this is his identity. And the rest of this whole section today is telling us that because of who he is, because his core identity is prisoner of Christ, it is going to affect every other thing that he does in his life. His core identity is prisoner in Christ. And everything else is, is going to be in orbit around that identity. And I wonder if you know who you are in this same way. What is your core identity? What's the, what's the identity that drives you? And today, and this is in your bolt, and here's, here's the thing that I want you to, to realize, to know, and to accept. When you forget who you are, when you forget your core identity, what you will do is you will define yourself by your circumstances. When you forget who you are, you will define yourself by your circumstances. When we, when we read through this section, when we read through these 13 verses, we see kind of just, just beneath the surface that, that when we don't know what our identity is, when we don't know who we truly are, we begin to lose heart and we begin to be discouraged and what happens, and, and follow this flow all the way through this section of Paul's letter, we, we take our eyes off of who Jesus is. And when we take ourselves, our eyes off of who Jesus is, where do we typically look? We begin to look inward. We begin to look at ourselves. And I don't know about you, but when I begin to look inwardly, that's when, that's when the John Mulholland pity party begins. When I, when I take my eyes off of Jesus, when I forget my core identity as a prisoner of Christ, I look inward. I look at myself. And chances are you do too. And we are surrounded by people who have no idea who they are. We're surrounded by people who have no idea what their purpose is in life. So, so what we do in those moments is we live for ourselves. We live for our own pleasure, and we define ourselves by our circumstances, whether they're good circumstances or whether they're bad circumstances. There's a psychological term called self-actualization. And here's, here's, here's the bottom line. Like, like, I'll put the cookies on as low a shelf as I possibly can when it comes to self-actualization. Self-actualization essentially means the desire of humanity to be self-fulfilled. So when I am self-actualized, what I'm doing is I'm doing what, what I'm going to do to make myself happy. And I get to do whatever I want. 
as long as I'm making myself happy. That's what it means to be self-actualized. I get to spend money as much as I want to. Even when I don't have money, I can spend money. Anyone been there? Ever spent money you don't have? We've all been there. See, that's, that's the result of a self-actualized person. Self-actualization means, means I can sleep with whoever I want to, whenever I want, wherever I want, and however I want to. Because that's the thing that gives me pleasure. Because life is about me. I don't have a core identity in God. I find my core identity in my own self-satisfaction. So I'm going to live the way I want to. I attend church until it no longer makes me happy. So I either go to a different church or I stop going altogether. And I'll serve, I'll make a commitment to serving in a church until I'm no longer receiving satisfaction from it. And then I check out. Because after all, church is about me, right? That's why we're here on a Sunday morning. And I wonder if we, as we listen to those things, Does this sound anything like Paul's heart or Paul's attitude in this text? Do we see any sense in what Paul is talking about of self-actualization, of self-satisfaction, of Paul looking inward to himself? See, Ephesians 3, 1 to 13 is the revelation that Paul is completely comfortable with who he is in Christ. He never doubts it. He never wavers that his identity comes from God. So then, by the time we get to verse 13, he can be aware of his circumstances. He can be aware of his circumstances. He can remind people of his circumstances so he can tell them about what he's going through in his life. But he is never defined by those circumstances. Paul never allows himself to be defined by his circumstance. And our question is, could we join Paul in that? Could we join Paul about being so satisfied in who Jesus says that we are, who God is calling us to be, and who the Holy Spirit is empowering us to be? Could we be so satisfied in that 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 our circumstances don't define us? I think one of the things that we are in need of in 2019 is not an identity of our choosing, but finding a sense of satisfaction, a tremendous sense of satisfaction, finding joy and hope and promise in who God is telling us that we are, because we are in need of a God-given identity. We need something new. I wonder if you, if you know who you are, how would you answer that question? Who, who are you? See, Paul is Christ's prisoner. And the reason for this is so that he says this in verse 2. The reason that Paul is Christ's prisoner is so that he can facilitate the relationship between Gentiles and God. That's why, that's why he's in that role. That's why he's Christ's prisoner, is so he can tell the Gentiles particularly about who God is, about what Jesus has done for them, about what the Holy Spirit offers to them. He's given an identity in Christ, not for himself, and this is really important. Paul's given an identity in Christ, not for himself, 
but for the benefit of those who don't know Christ. See, Paul's been given this new core, and it's not just for him, but it's for the benefit of people who don't know who Jesus is. Paul doesn't carry the identifier Christian for himself and his own salvation. He doesn't, he doesn't just rest in that salvation and say, well, I'm saved, so my work is done here. Paul's given this identity so that he will go out and preach this gospel, this good news to other people. He doesn't carry the identifier Christian so that God will keep secret things from him, but so he can know exactly what God's plan is. And maybe some of us are are thinking to ourselves, well, that would be nice. I wish I knew what God's plan was for my own life. Ephesians 1.9 God has now revealed to us his mysterious will regarding Christ, which is to fulfill his own good plan. Verse 10, And this is the plan. At the right time he will bring everything together under the authority of Christ, everything in heaven and on earth. We talked about this a few weeks ago. You know what God's plan is for your life? It's to join him in uniting everything under his lordship. That's God's plan for your life. And I think so many times we want to we make it about where I go to school or what job I have or who do I marry. And like all of those things, I, that can be a part of God's plan. But I wonder what it would be like for us as Christians if we would just find satisfaction that God's plan is for us to join him in his mission. Doesn't that relieve the pressure of us having to try and figure all of this stuff out? Just join God. Paul doesn't carry the identifier of Christian so he can lord this identity over people who don't know who God is. He doesn't carry this identifier as Christian, so, so he'll, he'll be better than everyone else, and he'll act better than everyone else, and he'll treat everyone, especially non-believers, he'll treat them like he is better than they are. That's not why Paul is given this identity. He's a servant to God only because God had mercy on him. And this, this mercy is the thing that drives Paul. See, Paul is very aware as a prisoner of Christ that, that he hasn't done anything to deserve his salvation. Nothing. Paul didn't do anything. And yet God saved him anyway. And this mercy drives Paul. Paul's not doing what he now does as a Christian to earn his salvation. I want you to imagine for a second, for those of us who have who've tried to think about how we might earn our salvation, and I think we've all been in that spot at some point in our lives. Maybe some of us live in that spot. What do I have to do to earn my salvation? Could you imagine being Paul trying to earn his salvation? To feel like you had to earn what God had given you? How could possibly, Paul, how could he possibly make up for all the evil that he had done? There's no way. And, and in the same way, this, this imprisonment that Paul is in, it's not some sort of backhanded God being passive aggressive on him. Well, you did this to all of my people, Paul, so now I'm going to do that to you. 
It's not how God operates. God does not function with karma. And each and every one of us should praise God daily for that. Because as people who are united with Christ, we do not get what we deserve. You should thank God for that. That that you did not get from God what we deserve. Remember, what do we deserve? By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. That's That's the life prior to our relationship with God. This is what we deserve. Separation from God. God's anger. And that's why verse number four in chapter two is so powerful. But God is so rich in mercy. See, we don't get what we deserve. Paul doesn't carry the identifier so that everyone would think he was better. In fact, he says, um, I'm the least deserving of all of God's people. So in fact, what Paul seems to be saying is, I'm actually the worst person that ever lived. I'm the worst person that God ever converted. Paul doesn't carry the identifier Christian as though it were a burden. He considers preaching and proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ. He considers that a grace. And you probably heard that word grace a lot if you've been in the church. And what it means is gift. See, Paul considers telling other people about God, he considers that a gift. It's a gift, it's a grace. Because, because he is in the business of telling people things that they previously didn't know. That's this mystery and this, and this secret that's going on here. It's not that Paul has to kind of figure this thing out. But it's the people who don't know, people who aren't united with Christ. Like, this doesn't make any sense. So I would challenge you, like, if that's you today, you're, you're not united with Christ, and this doesn't make any sense to you, there's a reason for that. Because it's, it's a mystery. And this is why we do what we do on a Sunday. So we can help you, as someone who's not united in Christ, understand what is really going on. What's really taking place. So that we can facilitate this relationship between you, as someone who's not united with Christ, and with Christ. That's our, that's our role as Christians is to proclaim the gospel, is to tell other people about Jesus Christ in the hopes that we might facilitate a relationship with, between you and God. And this is all of our roles. Just because myself and Joe and Mike and Shane are pastors here and we have elders and we have teachers, like that lets none of us off the hook. As believers, every single one of us, if we have been united with Christ, we're all on the same mission. We all have the same purpose, which is why this is our purpose as a church. We, as the church body, we don't carry the name Christian. The name, the name Christian is not on our sign out front so that we might display our own wisdom. We carry this identity to put God's wisdom on display. See, people who aren't united in Christ, they should, they should look into what we do on a Sunday, and they should wonder, I wonder why all those people are gathered together. 
They're so, they're so different. Like this doesn't, this doesn't make any sense. And I even just think about the relationships that I have with people in this room. For the people that are in my, in my small group. Like, I have no idea why I would be friends with these people outside of a relationship with Jesus Christ. And I see Jess over there looking at me like, wow, John, you, that's really offensive. But wh- the people in this room, like our lifestyles are so different. We come from, from different communities and different parts of Scotts Bluff and Gearing and different jobs and different economic statuses. See, we're so different. We, like we have, other than Christ... We have very little in common. I will always be an Ohio State fan. I will always be an Ohio State fan. Listen, I will always be an Ohio State fan. There is nothing you will say or do that will convince me otherwise. And yet, and yet we can, we can gather together in a, in a physical space and do something together in unity. And that is, that's God at work. The purpose of the church is to unite people. This is what I just read in Ephesians chapter 1. The purpose of the church is to unite people under Christ and reveal the mystery of God. This is why we exist. This is why we're here. And when we forget about that purpose, when we forget that, whether as individuals or as the church, I've said this phrase a million times in the last two and a half years, people who forget their purpose, they make life about themselves. They make life about their own preferences, their power, their place, and their position. And churches will do that too. When we forget as the gathered body of believers, when we forget what it is that we are about, we make it about ourselves. Francis Chan is a pastor, and he tells this story one time. Uh, Sunday after their, after their gathering, someone walked up to him and said, um, said, Pastor Chan, um, you know, I really didn't get anything out of worship today. And I love what Francis Chan said. Well, that's okay, because we weren't worshiping you. <laughs> Do we see how easy it is as a church to forget our purpose? Do we see how easy it is as a church for us to think that this is about us? That we're, we're here for what we can get out of it? Like, that's a completely backward statement. It's a backward understanding. When we gather, we're boldly in God's presence. That's what we see. That's what Paul is telling us. And Paul doesn't carry this identifier as Christian, so, so when he sins, he can, he can mope around and hide like, God, like Adam and Eve in the garden. Paul has bold and confident access to God's presence because of his identity. See, he's a prisoner in Christ. He's alive, and he's united with Christ, and he's accepted, and he's been adopted, and he's been purchased, and he's been showered with kindness from God. He's in on God's plan and has received an inheritance, and this is all for us as well. This is who we are as Christians. 
We have the same access, think about that, that Paul did. Which brings us to verse 13. So please don't lose heart because of my trials here. I'm suffering for you, so you should feel honored. You know the one thing that Paul doesn't want? Out of all the things that Paul wants, the one thing that Paul doesn't want is he doesn't want their pity. Because Paul is doing exactly what God called him to. He's proclaiming the gospel. He's fulfilling God's purpose. And we have access to this. Paul doesn't want their pity. He doesn't want them to to peer into, into his life from Ephesus and feel badly for him because he's in jail. And this is the exact opposite of many people in 2019. I have so many I have so many conversations with people where I get about 3 minutes into the conversation and what I strongly sense is that what this perp- what this person wants from me is my sympathy. What they want from me is to join them in their pity party. And you know why I know that? Because when I'm having a pity party, that's what I want from people. I, I want to I arrange my words carefully. I want to construct my sentences and carefully construct my thoughts. So, so what people will do is will join me in my pity party. They'll feel badly for me. And I think when we do that, we've fallen for the lie of self-actuality. We think life is about us. And for the last two chapters, what Paul has been telling us is who we are in Christ, because so often many of us define ourselves by our immediate circumstances. I don't have any money. I just lost my job. My car got held on again. Too much? We define ourselves by our immediate circumstances. Whether we're wealthy or poor, whether we're single or married, whether we're sick or whether we're well, we define ourselves by the hardships in our lives. And here's the thing. When we fall for this lie of self-actuality, who we are is really a moving target. Because I don't know about you, But how is it some days I can have a really good day and then like 12 hours later just be a wreck? Like how how does that happen? Because, Because the things that make me happy from one day to the next change. And so often the things that make me happy are based on the input or the affirmation that other people give to me. Or when they don't give me affirmation. And here's the reality. For those those of you in the room who are not united with Christ, I want to tell you something. You are living your life in the constant pursuit of something you will never, ever, ever find outside of God. You will never find it. And maybe this is one of those things where you think I'm nuts. Because you've been pursuing happiness and you're you're killing it there's going to be a moment there's going to be a day where that no longer fulfills you 
And what I'm telling you is that happiness that you're pursuing is only going to be found in Christ. And this room is filled with people who know that that is reality. People who've dealt with hardship and reality and still find and place their identity in Christ. I don't think our lives are hard because of our life's circumstances. I think our lives are hard because we've forgotten who we are. I think our lives are hard as Christians because we haven't tapped into all that God has for us. And here's the thing. When we allow our circumstances to drive us, our circumstances get in the way of telling other people about God. Did you hear that? When we define ourselves by our circumstances, our circumstances get in the way of telling other people about God. Because if I've defined life by my, the hardship in my life, why am I going to tell anyone who, how good God is in that? Because God's not good, because my life stinks. So when we define our lives in this way, it makes it really difficult for people to see Christ. Because, because I'm sure not talking about him in that way. And I know what some of you are thinking. I don't know your circumstance. I don't know how hard your life is. And there's truth to that. And can I tell you something that we have yet to talk about in Ephesians? Paul is writing this letter from a jail cell in Rome. So not only is, is, is Paul a prisoner of Christ, but Paul is a prisoner of Caesar. And what he's saying is, this is a shock to the 2019 mind. Don't feel bad for me. Because if I were Paul, and it were 2019, and that was the letter that I wrote to Westway Christian Church, I would not tell you to not feel bad for me. I would construct my letter in a way so that you would all feel badly for me. Because that's what life in 2019 looks like. And Paul is saying, don't feel badly for me. This is the same Paul who's been shipwrecked and beaten and flogged and has been abandoned by his friends. And now some of you are thinking, well, John, that's Paul. Isn't it funny how I know what you're thinking? Because I've been there. I've been in your spot. As a person who wasn't united with Christ and was throwing up all of the defenses because I just didn't want to hear that, that this is about me. I didn't want to hear the truth of my life's reality. Here's what Paul writes in 2 Corinthians Chapter 1. I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things or that I've already reached perfection. Here's what Paul's saying. Paul had some bad days. I am certain that when Paul was in the jail cell, he had some rough days. But I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. 
No, dear brothers and sisters, I've not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. Let all who are spiritually mature agree on these things. If you disagree with me on some point, I believe God will make it plain to you, but we must hold on to the progress we've already made. So I'm sorry, that's not 1 Corinthians 3. My bad. That was another thing that Paul wrote. And see, Paul's not perfect, but he was growing, and we're called to join him in the level of knowledge that we have. That's the point of what Paul just said. Is each one of us are at different maturity levels as Christians. Some of us are brand new people. So you know what you're expected to live up to as a brand new Christian? The maturity level that you have. And some of us in this room have been Christians for more than 40 years. And my question to you is, are you living up to that maturity level? Is your identity as a 40-year-old Christian, been a Christian for 40 years, is your identity in that spot? And see, people who are maturing into Christ, they allow their circumstances to dictate their life less and less and less over time. So for someone who's a brand new Christian, who's just figuring this whole thing out, their circumstances are going to be pretty rough, and they're going to be tempted to to fall back into those old habits, to be defined by their circumstances. But for people who have been Christians for 40 years, I got to tell you something. If you're still defining your life by your circumstance, I don't know that you are fully accessing all that God has for your life. Are you growing? Are you learning? And I think when when we remain in our self-pity, we we rob God of praise. I think we, when we remain in our self-pity, we rob the opportunity for others to see Jesus acting in our lives. Why would anyone want to be united with Christ when they see me on my pity party day? Because my life looks just like theirs. This is, this is what I mean when I say when we forget who we are, we define ourselves by our circumstances. In the midst of the hardships and realities of life, here's, here's, here's what the self-actualized person does. Here's what we do when, when hardship and reality comes and we are self-actualized. What am I supposed to learn through this? That's the self-actualized lie. The prisoner of Christ asks himself or herself, what if this pain isn't about me? What if the realities and hardships of life isn't a lesson for me? Well, that kind of just got real, didn't it? Because of the way we so often look at the Christian life is, this is about me? So I have a hardship, and then I want to know, what does God have for me? But what if it's not? What other choice do we have? This is 2 Corinthians 1, 3-7. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is our merciful Father and the source of all comfort. He comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort others. I want to repeat that. 
He comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort others. When they are troubled, we will be able to give them the same comfort God has given us. For the more we suffer for Christ, the more God will shower us with his comfort through Christ. Even though we are weighed down, so Paul again, as he's writing this from prison, even though we are weighed down with troubles, it's for your comfort and salvation. For when we ourselves are comforted, we will certainly comfort you. Then you can patiently endure the same things we suffer. We are confident that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in the comfort God gives us. For those of you in the midst of hardships and realities of life right now, what if what you are going through right now is meant to be used by God for someone else at a later date? What if your suffering is not about you? That's a pretty bone-crushing reality, isn't it? Because I thought this was about me. What if it is for the benefit of someone else? Can we take our eyes off of ourselves for, for just two minutes and consider that our circumstances might be for the benefit of other people? What if God has chosen you, you, through your hardships and your realities, to demonstrate to those who are far from Christ what a God-honoring suffering looks like. That kind of flips a little reality on you, doesn't it? Oh, see, I'm supposed, to be, I'm supposed to be showing other people how to suffer well. For those of you in hardships and realities, how, how are you doing with that? When people peer into your life, how, how are you suffering And I think one of the biggest problems is, about this is, is so many of us are interested in garnering pity and wallowing in our own circumstances than we are in boldly going to God and taking them to him. I think Paul is telling us many things, and one of those things is our own sufferings an opportunity to share the gospel. It's an opportunity to join him in his rescue mission. And God has offered all of us a new identity and a new purpose. And this gives us, this gives us confidence in the midst of our circumstances and our hardships and our realities. And Paul's a prisoner of Christ, so that means he's there because of Christ. We're comforted by God to comfort other people. This isn't a switch. Would never expect you to just walk out of here today and, and flip that switch on. This is a path. This is a journey. And this is one reason why we need each other as the body. So when we see ourselves like falling into this pit of pity and wallowing in our own issues, you know what we need? We need people to call us out of it. I need people to not entertain my pity party. And I will tell you, my wife has gotten so good at that. <laughs> like a few weeks ago, I don't remember what I was complaining about, and she just like, she like 
I was, man, I was, I was going at it, right? And like all these different angles trying to get her to say something to me. You're right, John. Life does really stink. And she just wouldn't do it. I'm like, dang it. So then I had to get out of it, right? Because that's not a way to live that doesn't proclaim Christ. People who forget their identity will define themselves by their circumstances. And Christians, we have a core identity in Christ. And he alone dictates who we are. And everything we do is based on that identity. And if you don't have that identity, then we should probably have a conversation. You should talk to someone because it's a pretty freeing way to live, to not be weighed down. I imagine as much as Paul had a bone-crushing days in the old jail cell in Rome, he probably had some pretty good ones too because he knew who he was. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for, for your word. We thank you that you give us a core identity that is not based upon what we think will make us happy, but is based upon what is truly best for us. And I pray, God, that we would, we would not look inward, but we would be focused on others. It's in your sons and we pray.